welcome to American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. I'm Noel Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. If you like American Catholic history, become a supporter at Locals or Patreon. We've got some great perks for supporters, including interviews, gifts, live discussions, and even items we pick up on our travels. For more, visit our website, AmericanCatholicHistory.org. Also, be sure to give us a five-star rating and a great review at Apple or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. These help people to find us. Today we're talking about a last-minute Catholic, the brilliant polymath John von Neumann. John von Neumann was a key figure in many of the most significant advances in technology and mathematics of the 20th century. The development of the atomic and and hydrogen bombs, the infrastructure that makes computing possible, game theory, quantum mechanics, and he formulated the definition of ordinal numbers that we rely on today. The definition of ordinal number. I know, right? Ordinal numbers, of course, are numbers that indicate the position of something in a series. So first, second, third, etc. It's a simple concept, you'd think. But within super smart mathematical circles, they put effort into writing a definition of these sorts of really obvious things. And apparently, whatever definition all of humanity used up until John von Neumann came along was lacking in some way. And only he figured out the problem. But now... All better, thanks to John von Neumann. Yes, bullet dodged. But seriously, brilliant people thought he was brilliant. Yeah, it's actually an anecdote that people who knew him share as an example of how quick his mind was. The following math problem was given to him. Two bicycles begin traveling on a crash course toward each other, and each is going 10 miles per hour. It takes the bikes one hour to run into one another. During that time, a fly flies back and forth between the bikes at 15 miles per hour until the bikes run into each other and the fly is squished between them. So, how far did the fly travel in total? Now, the solution can be found in two ways. First, you could figure out the location of the bikes each time the fly arrived at one of them and turned back, and then add all of them up. But that would take lots of calculation and... No one really has time to do all of that. Or if you catch the wording, you could just catch that the total time elapsed in the problem is one hour. And so since the fly was flying at 15 miles per hour, you can know that the fly traveled 15 miles in that time. Clever. Yeah. And when this problem was presented to von Neumann, he immediately came up with the answer, 15 miles. The person who presented it to him said, oh, so you caught the trick, meaning that von Neumann had identified that 15 miles per hour over one hour calculation. Von Neumann looked at him and said, no, I summed the distances. He had actually done the series of distance calculations and added them up right there on the spot. Which is ridiculous. Yes, it is. Yeah. But doing such calculations at a prodigious speed wasn't the only thing his remarkable brain could do. He also had an eidetic memory, commonly called photographic. It was a bit of a party trick for him, but he could reproduce text he had only read once, and time didn't reduce his retention. One time he was challenged to recite the beginning of A Tale of Two Cities. Most people can probably produce at least the first line. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And many could go on for a few more lines. But von Neumann went on word for word for about 10 minutes before his companions, well convinced of his mental prowess, asked him to stop. 
So to put it mildly, he possessed a truly remarkable brain. And with it, as we said, he was responsible for many of the most significant technological developments of the 20th century. Though, sadly, not all of them were purely beneficial to humanity. No, but let's build up to all of that and then get to his final act of faith. Yes, so we'll start in Budapest in 1903. John von Neumann was the oldest of three boys born to affluent, well-to-do parents. In 1913, his father, who was an important banker in Hungary, was made a Hungarian nobleman by the Emperor Franz Joseph. So, it's safe to say the von Neumanns had access to all the nice things of Hungary, plus the best schools. The family was Jewish, but they were non-observant Jews, and the three boys were raised with no particular religious education or faith to speak of. For education, the boys started with private tutors before going to the best boys' schools. And as the anecdotes we started with might suggest, John von Neumann was a child prodigy. At six, he could divide eight-digit numbers and converse in ancient Greek. At eight, he understood differential and integral calculus. As a child, he read through all 46 volumes of Wilhelm Onken's General History in Monographs. And while I have never heard of that before, I imagine reading through it would be an impressive feat for a college student. His formal schooling was predictably filled with honors and accolades based on his impressive feats of intellect. This included having two major and important papers on mathematics published when he was 19. One of them was the aforementioned redefinition of ordinal numbers. So from there, he went from success to success in mathematics and received his doctorate in mathematics from the University of Budapest. But let's be honest, the competition was among the universities to be the one who would be associated with him and therefore burnish their image. Yeah. After that, he was much sought out by the best universities. In his mid-20s, he split time between the University of Berlin and Princeton University over here in the States. When he was 26, he published a very important paper entitled The Mathematical Foundations of Quantum Mechanics. Sounds like light reading. Yeah, I know. <laughs> By 29, he had more than 30 major papers on mathematics published, and his pace of nearly one a month was not slowing down. His first real nod to any religious faith came when he was 30. He married, and his wife was Catholic. Von Neumann was agnostic at this point, but he was getting married, so he went with his wife's faith for what it was worth. But his baptism didn't lead to a change in his attitudes toward religion, nor to his practice of any particular faith. He and his wife had a daughter two years after they were married, but wedded bliss and the joys of fatherhood did not occupy too much space in his mind and heart. His work was his life. So just two years after his daughter was born, his wife left him and took their daughter with her. As before, he didn't let this slow him down too much. His work was too important. And it's hard to argue that his work was not really important. Well, it was, of course, but nothing is important enough to neglect your marriage. No, that is certainly true. Good. Yes. Good one. I'm learning. <laughs> mm -hmm. He did remarry within a couple of years of his divorce. This time, they had no children, but his second wife didn't really fare any better in gaining his attention. She just endured the benign neglect for the roughly 20 years that they were married before he died. But he had many things to accomplish before he died. Among them was the architecture that makes modern computing possible. While at Princeton, he became friends with Alan Turing, who had laid the groundwork for modern computing. Based on their conversations, von Neumann took Turing's discoveries and ran with them. The result is modern computers of all shapes and sizes. Later, he established what we know as game theory. He literally wrote the book on it. 
If you've seen the Russell Crowe movie, A Beautiful Mind, you've been exposed to the workings of game theory. In essence, it is a method of analyzing the behavior of individuals who are in a situation where rewards or punishments or both are on the line. This is a game, broadly speaking. Game theory helps to determine the best course of action for all participants to achieve equilibrium or the best possible outcome for all involved. While human beings will usually choose based on selfish motives, game theory gives a way to determine what the best outcome will be for all, and it may well also be the best solution for each individual as well. Game theory has had a tremendous impact on all manner of things since then, including probably the most significant problem he was involved in from a world history perspective. Yes, and that's next up for discussion. In the 1940s, during the Second World War, he participated in the Manhattan Project. The Manhattan Project, of course, was the super-secret U.S. government program which developed the atomic bomb. Von Neumann, with his Hungarian and Jewish background, was ardently anti-fascist, and later just as ardently anti-communist. So he was happy to help the war effort with his incredible intellect. His contributions to the Manhattan Project included the trigger mechanism, which actually detonated the bomb that we dropped on Hiroshima. It was actually an incredibly important and difficult thing to figure out. And when Truman decided to use that bomb, von Neumann was among those who chose where to drop it. It's just an atrocious decision to be involved in. But to von Neumann, the ethical considerations were treated like a game. In his calculation, dropping the bomb worked out to be the course of action that promised the best possible results for all involved. And that wasn't his last contribution. After World War II ended and the Cold War began, he dove into both the development of the far more destructive hydrogen bomb and the development of Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles, or ICBMs. He was aware that the Soviet Union was seriously pursuing both weapons technologies and was determined that the communists would not get the upper hand in weaponry. So he both helped develop the weapons that kept the United States at the top of the heap militarily, and he is considered the architect of the theory that, ostensibly, assured that they would never be used. Mutually assured destruction, or MAD. MAD, well-named, is the theory that since both the United States and the Soviet Union possessed the ability to destroy one another, and since any first strike by either nation would assure a devastating retaliatory strike, neither nation would actually send the first nukes because to do so would assure that nation's own destruction. So it's another game theory issue. Recognize what your opponent is doing and act in such a way that the best possible outcome is most likely. This means that having more and better weapons becomes a way to protect your people. The enemy won't attack if he knows you'll hit back at least as hard. Yeah, and it's a terrible way to live, actually, and Pope Paul VI condemned the idea of guaranteeing peace through building up arms. But when considering the principles of just war theory and a legitimate government's obligation to protect its citizens, well, there is a certain logic to it. So with all these advances, developments and discoveries through the 1930s, 40s and into the 1950s, Few individuals were as integral to the major developments of the world, be they in mathematics, technology, weaponry, and even international politics. And that's why his untimely death in 1957 came as a tremendous shock to the world. And equally as shocking was the religious conversion that preceded it. Yes, von Neumann had had a deep fear of dying for a long time. He didn't give him much space in his mind while he was healthy and wealthy and on top of the world. But in 1955, that changed. He went to the doctor with a pain in his shoulder. 
The doctor found a large cell tumor on his collarbone, but believed it to be benign. However, during the surgery to remove it and the treatment, they discovered that the tumor was a result of another cancer, possibly testicular, possibly pancreatic, which had metastasized and spread throughout his body. Treatment was available, but the diagnosis was terminal. Finally, faced with the terrifying prospect of his own death, John von Neumann was unable to avoid that one final game. Does God exist? And if he does, what's the deal with the afterlife? There's no mathematical equation or empirical study that the brain can work through to arrive at the correct answer about the afterlife. But that's not to say there isn't a game theory-esque approach to the question. In the 1660s, Blaise Pascal's Pensées were published posthumously. Pascal was himself an absolutely brilliant man who made tremendous contributions to many different areas of human life. In the Pensées, among other things, Pascal presents an argument for belief in God's existence that is known as Pascal's Wager. Pascal's Wager technically isn't an argument that God exists, but it is an argument that says you should believe that God exists. The argument goes something like this. You can choose to believe that God exists or choose to believe that God does not exist. But if God exists and God promises eternal happiness to those who believe in him, then belief is better, it's a better wager, than non-belief because... If God exists and you choose to believe, then you have the chance of eternal bliss. If, however, God exists and you choose not to believe, then you condemn yourself. But then on the other hand, if God does not exist, then your choice regarding God's existence will have no bearing on your afterlife anyhow, because there won't be one. The best choice, or wager, in this game is to believe in God and follow his law. So, von Neumann, following Pascal, wagered that God exists and he would choose to believe. In another form of this wager, von Neumann told his mother, there probably has to be a God. Many things are easier to explain if there is than if there isn't. Yeah, and for a person with an intellect as brilliant and unencumbered as his to say something like that, well... Seriously. To pursue this interest in the existence of God during his final months, he surprised everyone by inviting a Catholic priest, the brilliant Benedictine Anselm Strittmatter, to visit him. Von Neumann didn't know him personally at first, but friends knew that whoever it was, the priest had better be able to keep up with him. No small task. Some of the great minds of the 20th century had difficulty keeping up with von Neumann. But Father Strittmatter apparently was up to the task because they met many times over those months, talking about many different topics, and eventually von Neumann returned to the Catholic Church and the sacraments. He had, of course, been baptized back before his first marriage, but now he was a Catholic by choice and not just to check a box. Von Neumann lived his last few months at Walter Reed Army Medical Center in northern Washington, D.C., only leaving the facility a few times and then in a wheelchair. A short time before his death, he traveled to the White House. In the Oval Office, President Dwight Eisenhower presented him with the Presidential Medal of Merit. Von Neumann received the last rites from Father Strittmatter before his death on January 8, 1957. He was 53 years old. John von Neumann had a Catholic funeral in Washington and was buried near his home in Princeton, New Jersey. After his death, many of his colleagues doubted his turn to the Catholic faith, saying it was born of desperation and his fear of dying. There may well have been something to that. God will work through most anything to bring souls back to himself. But the fact remains that the man whose intellect brought about or made possible some of the biggest events and advances of the last 80 years 
ultimately came to the conclusion that believing in God and knowing him in and through the Catholic Church was of foundational importance. This has been American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by the StarQuest Production Network. If you enjoy American Catholic History, become a supporter on Locals or Patreon. Get information about both and the perks of being a supporter at AmericanCatholicHistory.org support. Also, sign up for our newsletter, learn more about John von Neumann, see our upcoming pilgrimages, and find other episodes on our website. And be sure to check out our sponsor, Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. We love getting your feedback and suggestions for episodes. You can email us at feedback at AmericanCatholicHistory.org. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash AmericanCatholicHistory. On Instagram at ACH underscore podcast. Or follow us on Twitter at ACH1513. I'm Noel Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by StarQuest.